Every work team has moments of conflict and dysfunction. Sometimes productive conflict is a necessary part of wrestling through big ideas to get to the best possible outcome. But sometimes our teams become mired in conflict that is entirely avoidable because it's based in vastly different communication styles or different motivations and misunderstandings. Enter the Enneagram. The Enneagram offers not only self-awareness, but also curiosity and deeper understanding of others. I teach the Enneagram and consult with teams to improve their communication styles, conflict effectiveness, and self-leadership, all of which foster highly engaged and high-performing teams. During a recent team event, I heard over and over, this just makes so much sense when they looked around the room and saw who was fitting within each type. And now I know why this person asked so many questions or this depersonalizes some of the conflict we've been having because I can tell we're just coming from different perspectives. So now that we know where we are, we can see how we can get aligned. So if you're looking for ongoing support or simply considering an engaging introspective module for your team's offsite or event, let's talk. Reach out to the Nine Types team at hello at ninetypes.co or schedule a one-on-one consultation with me on my website, ninetypes.co. And now on to the show. Welcome to Ask an Enneagram Coach. I'm your host, Steph Baron Hall. I'm a certified Enneagram coach, creator of Nine Types Co. on Instagram, and author of the new book, The Enneagram in Love. Every other week, you can find me here answering all of your pressing Enneagram questions so that you can understand yourself more clearly and find new paths toward growth. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to Ask an Enneagram Coach. I know it's been a minute, um, but we are back today with a fantastic episode with a great friend of mine, um, Amanda Steed. So I met Amanda a few years ago, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit during the episode, but... um, she has just been a great friend, and I've learned so much about the Enneagram from Amanda, and she's just really, really thoughtful, and you'll hear a lot of that today. Definitely one of my favorite eights. So if you see on Instagram anytime I say, oh, I love eights, Amanda is part of the reason. She's an eight, and she's going to talk all about that during our conversation today. Before we begin, I want to introduce you to Amanda. Amanda Seed is an Enneagram teacher and has just completed her Master's of Social Work, which she will use to provide therapy services in the DFW area. She sees the Enneagram as a tool that helps people let go of their protective personalities and embrace their essence and true identity. Amanda teaches workshops and hosts retreats across the country and calls Dallas, Texas home. She lives in Oak Cliff with her husband, artist Kyle Steed, and their two wild and spirited daughters, Genevieve and Savannah. In her spare time, she likes to play piano, read, hang out with the Real Housewives of Potomac, and engage in meaningful conversations with friends over coffee. So Amanda's really focused on the Enneagram as it combines with social work and really her specific area of social work that she's been working towards is really with with therapy. And then she also really focuses on relationship dynamics. So that's one thing that you'll hear us talk about during our conversation as well as just on her Instagram too. So a couple things for you to note. During our conversation, we talked about how you can find Amanda at Enneagram Unfolding, but that's actually been updated since. So you can find Amanda on Instagram at Enneagram and Therapy, but the best way to find her is actually her website. So her website is amandaseed.com, and that's where you can sign up for her newsletter as well as grab one of her courses. Highly recommend her courses. I actually had an opportunity to take them when she was teaching them live, and they they weren't courses, but um, they're fantastic either way, and I, I definitely recommend all of her work. So you can find that, again, at amandaseed.com. Now, I'm so excited for you to meet Amanda. So let's get into it. Today on the podcast, we have Amanda Steed, who um, you just heard an introduction to. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk. Yeah, me too. Um, So to start off, I would love to hear um, a little bit more about you and obviously, you know, well, let's, let's think. Okay. So we, we got connected via Instagram. I yes. think it's 2016 or 2017. Probably. Yeah, but it had to have been between 2015 and 2016 at some point. Did I have both yeah. kids yet? 
Hmm. Do you remember? That's how I measure time. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think Genevieve was born in 2016. So if I had two kids, then it was in 2016. Okay. It was 2016 then. Because I'm pretty sure you had two kids. Though, to be honest, I'm (laughs) terrible at things like that. That's okay. I'm really bad at time in the last five years. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm also really bad at knowing how old kids are. Yeah. It's okay. It happens. It'd be different. If you like came over to my house on a regular basis and like saw my kids in person on a regular basis, I might be like, are you okay? But you know, you just see pictures of them on the internet. So it's no big deal. Yeah. So, so we got connected a few years ago and then we've just kind of like been on like a similar trajectory, just going through Enneagram certifications and teaching the Enneagram and grad school and all that stuff, different grad school programs. But anyway, um, but I have some questions for you that I'm not sure I even know the answers to. Okay. Um, so first off, um, <laughs> how did you learn about the Enneagram? Yeah. So there's two answers to this question. And I like to give both an- answers because I think that they're, uh, the first one is actually more helpful to people and more, more important for people to hear. Because the first time I heard about the Enneagram was probably about seven years ago seven or eight years ago. And I uh, was hanging out with a group of people at the time who really got into it and told me to take a test. And so I took the test and I tested as a type two, which we should just say right out of the gate. I'm not a type two, I'm a type eight. And so <laughs> it was um, very confusing to me. And I was reading it and I was like, oh, I do not know. My greatest desire is not to be liked. Like I literally, I want you to like me, but I definitely do not need you to like me. And then the part of it, so that was a little bit like, oh, well, this doesn't seem too accurate. But then when I went back to these people who had been like so excited about it and said, oh, these are the results. They were like, oh my God, that's so you. And so not only did I like feel like this test or this, the Enneagram was BS, But then I was like, oh, no one around me really knows me. Like no one really gets me. Mm. If they think this is what I'm about, then they don't know me at all. Mm. So then fast forward and I actually learned about the Enneagram and like really started digging into it. I think where a lot of people did, which is the Liturgist podcast episode. Mm -hmm. So they started going through type eight and I was by myself in the car and I literally just started weeping. And I was in therapy at the t- at the time. Um, I had experienced a lot of trauma in childhood and just needed to work through some of it. And I was getting to a point where I was like, you know what? Like, I think I'm ready to like take a step back. Like, I think I've worked through what I need to work through. But then I learned my Enneagram type and I was like, so crap. Nope, not done. There's a lot more here. So mm-hmm. the type eight description, just like, it felt like being seen. For the first time. And I think, mm-hmm. I think a lot of, especially, maybe not especially type eights, but in my experience, female eights feel so misunderstood yeah. that when we hear that description, all of a sudden we're just like, Oh, there, someone gets it. Like someone understands where we're coming from. Like, we're not just like fiery lions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're protecting something that's really important to us. And we're really protective of people around us. So that was kind of my, my two introductions to the Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I hear that a lot actually, where, um, even I think one of the questions that somebody submitted for us was, um, like she was saying she can't figure out if she's a two or an eight. And normally if I have a woman coming to me saying, I can't figure out if I'm a two or an eight, I'm like, I think you're probably an eight. I don't say that right out the gate. I obviously investigate more, but um, because I find eights to be so helpful in specific ways and so concerned with their specific people and justice. And that comes out in a way that is very caring, mm-hmm. but and it's not the same way that. Yeah. It doesn't have the same motivations. Right. Which is why, like, I feel like myself and you and another handful of Enneagram teachers like constantly point people back to no, go back to motivations. That's what it's all about because type twos and type eights can present in very similar ways, but it's all about why. So I'm not, I'm not like serving my community 
because I need people to like me or I need to feel, feel appreciated or I need to be seen as helpful. Um, for me, it's more about like, yeah, that justice component and defending those who are vulnerable. And it's, it has very little to do with being liked. That's something I envy about eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It actually like, it's been healing for me. Like, um, so for those listening, Amanda, for a while was teaching a group called Enneagram Unfolding. It's now her handle on Instagram, as you heard at the top of the show. Um, but it, it was a monthly group where she would do teachings. And then it was like a group coaching process. And um, it was really helpful for me because I am a three. And so I have a lot of the same I don't know. I, I guess I'd say some of the similar, like a, a bit of the aggressive energy, uh, like that's how other people sometimes perceive me. Um, but Amanda, um, as an eight, doesn't have the same like desire to be liked or desire to perform. Um, and so she was really good and like really influential and in challenging me to step out of that and, and look at things a little bit differently. Um, so that's something that is really helpful to me about eights and why I love eights. Well, and I think sometimes that a misconception is that it doesn't matter to me if I'm liked, like it does matter to a certain extent, but it's just not a priority. Like I don't, I really don't need someone to like me. And if it comes down to like, um, doing what I think is like the best thing to do in the situation versus pleasing people, like I have, I don't really have a problem with disappointing people or letting people down. Yeah. 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 And I, I also think from, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from what I've heard, it's kind of like, um, if somebody is going to make assumptions or like is kind of committed to misunderstanding who you are, it's like, it's not that you don't care. It's just that you're like, I'm not going to waste my time trying to change their mind. Just move along. Yeah. Yeah. That's articulated really well. Like my, one of my favorite little quotes is that other people's opinions of me are none of my business. Hmm. Like I, unless someone really like, I mean, obviously my husband's opinion of me really matters, right? Because, sure. uh, we live together, we do life together. So <laughs> yeah. if I've done something that he like kind of has an issue with or people that are really close to me, it, then it matters to me, but just like people's general opinions of me, it just doesn't keep me up at yeah. night. Yeah. Okay. So th- one of the huge, like. I knew I was an eight, but I always like second guessed it when I would hear things about um, type twos, like needing people to appreciate them, that kind of thing, because uh, it showed up for me in my really close relationships. And so there were two things that were really important in helping me really settle down into being a type eight or settle into being a type eight. One was learning that I'm a social eight and that social eights, um, that's like my subtype and that that's very easily can confused with type twos um, because I'm all about like the group dynamics. I'm very concerned with like cohesion and um, really just focus on the group, if that makes sense. And then the other thing was my security point and the fact that my security point, which is how I behave around people that I am very close to that are in my inner circle is average behavior of a type two. So if I'm close to you, then it's actually really important for me to receive that validation and for me to hear like, hey, I, I see all the work that you're putting into what you're doing and I appreciate it. So I think the difference is that I need that from a very small group of people, a handful of people. And the type twos that I've worked with are the type twos that I um, have in my life. Like they need that almost from everyone around them on a regular basis. So that's something I would encourage that person to look at is like, look at the social two and then look at the, I think it, you and I did that collaboration on the security points and so, or the movement points. So going back to the, that post and looking closely at the movement points for type two and the movement points for type eight. Yeah. I'll, and I'll um, link those in the show notes so that everyone can make sure that they see it. Um, okay. So then you learned about the Enneagram in those two separate settings. Um, Mm -hmm. So then how do you use it now on a daily basis? Yeah, I really like this question because I haven't been teaching, you know, COVID 
forced me to put everything online. And so now everyone can access my teachings online at any time. So I'm not like hosting live events, even online anymore. So I haven't been teaching in the past like eight or nine months. So it's not in my mind all the time. So I would say the the way that I use it on a regular basis is mainly in my marriage. So I'm married to my husband, Kyle. We will be married um, 15 years this year, which our anniversary is in 10 days. So by the time this airs, we will have celebrated our 15-year anniversary. And um, Kyle is dominant in type 1. And it's been really, really helpful to be able to have that conversation where our types kind of allow us to um, speak about things objectively, like outside of ourselves. So it's not like you are doing X, Y, Z. It's, Hey, I've noticed, like, I've noticed this behavior. Do you think that maybe it could be that tendency to think of things in black and white, both of us, right? Like both of us are black and white thinkers. Um, and then the other way is just to specifically for me is to look at, um, how often I, expect betrayal or think that people are betraying me. Um, when really sometimes it's just like a miscommunication or like, so noticing that tendency to question people's intentions towards me and being able to like take a deep breath and be like, you know, using those childhood messages. And, um, I always tag on to type A. It's like, you will not be betrayed. That's the the message, right? But that's not true. So I just tag on, you will not be betrayed. But if you are, are you will be betrayed but if you and when you are you'll be okay does that make sense mm, am i going to re- yeah. say that again like you will not be betrayed and if you are you'll be okay yeah man that's really powerful because i think i think that you will not be betrayed message is tough because you just can't control that you really can't yeah and like that's control is the other issue right yeah. <laughs> for me and my yeah. husband yeah. Um, for diff- in different ways. So for me, it's like, I don't want it to feel like anyone is controlling me or in any mm-hmm. way trying to dictate what's going to happen to me. So of course, someone betraying me, it almost feels like a someone having control over how I'm feeling. Yeah. So it's that, yeah, having all of that awareness. So I guess the way that I use the Enneagram now is mostly like being curious and hopefully, um, being compassionate towards myself and towards those around me, which is mostly mm-hmm. Kyle right now because we're in a pandemic and we don't leave our house like ever. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, I I do want to just ask a quick question. This wasn't on our pre-approved list of questions, okay. um, <laughs> but I get so many DMs from people who are specifically in a one and eight relationship and are really, really struggling. Um, do you have any little tidbits for those people? <laughs> um, get into therapy. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Both of you, like, I'm not saying go to marriage counseling. I'm saying each person in the relationship needs to be doing their own work individually. Yeah. And then another thing is just like refocusing the attention on like, we're on the same team. We're working towards the same goal because, um, <laughs> In my experience, in my relationship, a lot of times, Kyle and I are are both um, very competitive. And if we're not careful, then it feels like we're like working against each other. Mm. And when we mm-hmm. stop and pause and bring the attention back to like, wait a second, we are actually on the same team. And we can make this from like a, a teamwork um, perspective. Like we are a really amazing team. Like uh-huh. we work really, really well together. We're, we, our dynamics when we are like clicking are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just about like that change in focus of like, this is my teammate. And for the type eight, not taking the criticism personally, because sometimes the yeah. criticism for me can feel like betrayal. It almost feels like, uh-huh. how can you criticize me when you see how hard I work? Like, how can you Mm -hmm. keep it to yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. I'm laughing because our husbands are the same type. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't actually, so I actually just said, and I think Kyle would be okay with me saying this, but, um, I actually just, we went to a therapy session together for the first time in a while, a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. And I actually said like, I really think that you need to learn that you don't always have to share your opinion. And he was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> just had a moment <laughs> of like, okay, well, how would you feel if I said that to you? And I was like, well, I mean, I'd probably be a little pissed, but I'd get over it and you'd be right. Like, I don't, I don't have to share my opinion all the time. It's not mm-hmm. always needed. <laughs> Yeah. So that's the other thing. We're both very opinionated and yeah. uh, we both think we're right about everything. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm resonating a lot with this. When Brandon <laughs> uh, edits this podcast. He's going to be like, uh, <laughs> put a few little tidbits for, for us in there too. <laughs> um, so what has the process been like then for you to go from like learning the Enneagram initially to then like teaching and you just finished your master's in social work and so you're moving into therapy and all those things? What has that process been like? Yeah. So um, before I got pregnant with my first uh, daughter who I have a seven-year-old, she just turned seven. And then um, I have a four-year-old who will be five in a couple months. But when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I was in graduate school in the social work program. Um, and decided like, I'm going to put this on hold so that I can just like be home with my kids for a few years. And so it was already kind of in the back of my mind. And that slowly transitioned from, I think I want to study social work so that I can, um, work in like not for nonprofits and doing programming to, oh no, I really think I want to do therapy. Like that was kind of always in the back of my mind to explore as an option in the program, but not a priority. And then Mm -hmm. having kids going through my own process in therapy really made me realize like, oh, I really want to do therapy. Um, So after I learned my type, went through another like 10 months of weekly therapy, I got to a point where all of my friends were kind of like, can you like, can we talk about anything other than the Enneagram? Enneagram. (laughs) Shut up about it. I'm so sick of hearing about it. And I went to a couple of Suzanne Stabile's workshops and I realized like, that's what I want to do. I want to do what she's doing. Mm -hmm. I want to teach this to people because I teaching is like, I will always teach whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Like, um, in the field of social work, after you've been practicing for two years, you can go back and do adjunct, be an adjunct professor at the school that I'm graduating from. So I plan on doing that. Absolutely. I plan on, um, continuing to teach the Enneagram. Like teaching is just something that I love to do that comes really naturally to me. So I realized like, I think I can do that. Like, I actually think that's possible. And at the time it's so crazy to think about, but there were like almost no online options. I mean, you know, we went through the program almost back to back. So there were almost no online options. Hardly anyone was doing anything on the internet that had to do with the Enneagram. You had to like travel to the other side of the world. Um, I mean, there were like chat rooms and stuff, but it just was not what it is now. Now it's like blown up. So Mm -hmm. I was still staying home with my kids and I was like, how do I do this? And that's when um, Beth McCord was just launching I think I was one of the first five people to sign up for the Your Enneagram Coach um, certification. And it worked perfectly for me. Like it was all online and, um, you know, it gave me the nuts and bolts of what I needed to know to kind of build my own curriculum. And then I am just a researcher by nature. Like I think you and I have that in common where it's like, I'm constantly wanting to learn about something new. I mm-hmm. am like literally have an entire uh, shelf worth of Enneagram books. And I took a long weekend and went on a writing retreat and took all of my Enneagram books with me and wrote my own curriculum and started teaching workshops in Dallas. And I did coaching for a while, but I found mm-hmm. that what was happening is that, and I did the group coaching thing, which by the way, I'm considering bringing back now that I'm not in graduate school, I think it would be more manageable now. But um, I did group coaching, which I loved. But every time I would get a one on one coaching client, I would get to a certain point and be like, I think you just need to be in therapy. Like, I don't think I'm actually qualified to help you. (laughs) Yeah. With Mm -hmm. what you need help with. And 
I said that so many times that once my kids were back in school, I was like, I, I think I'm ready. Like, I just really want to be doing therapy. And so went back to school and a lot of people don't realize social workers can be clinical social workers, which is really similar to any other therapy profession. So like LPCs or LCSWs, um, or an LCSW is a clinical social worker, but like LMFTs, Mm -hmm. LPCs, um, So yeah, I just literally last weekend turned in my final paper for my master's and I'm excited because now I get to use the Enneagram with therapy clients um, and then also kind of talking through it with other friends that do coaching and therapy and really distinguishing between the two and getting to a place where Um, I can offer coaching and have that boundary of like, this is what we do and this is what we Mm -hmm. don't do. So did that answer the question? I feel like I rambled a lot, but hopefully that was. (laughs) No, yeah, that's, that's great. And um, yeah, I think it's so cool. And I think it's so interesting for people to hear that process because a lot of the time people ask me this question, like, how did you, like, how can I do what you're doing? And I'm like, I mean, like if you want to start tomorrow, you need to go back in time five years <laughs> and start then. Um, but because it is like a long process, it's not. Mm-hmm. And especially, I mean, I did a whole podcast on how I became an Enneagram coach, quote unquote. And um, like what, like you were saying, when we both went through that certification, it was the only one mm-hmm. <laughs> that was online. Like I did yeah, a spreadsheet. Was like, like I was like, I don't have the PTO at my job. I don't have like the resources or finances really to like travel and stay at a hotel Mm -hmm. and do all this stuff for weeks on end. So online it is. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now there are so many options. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That are incredible options. So yeah. Yeah. And even (laughs) then the, the whole Enneagram Instagram thing was not thing. (laughs) No. So let's tell this story real quick because I, um, did my Enneagram account for a few months. And then I was like, so overwhelmed with doing school and being mom and, uh, trying to run the business that I was like, social media is not a priority right now. Mm -hmm. So I took a break. And then when I came back, I texted you and I was like, okay, tell me what to do. And you were like, just use the hashtags, just do this, just do that. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, how are these posts getting hundreds of likes? Like when Mm -hmm. I left my account, maybe a year before, if that even, I was lucky to get like, I don't know, 20, 30 likes on my account and like very little engagement with people. And I came back and you were like, oh yeah, welcome to the world of Instagram and the Enneagram. And it's like a whole other thing now. Yeah. And now there's like YouTube and TikTok and everything else. And it's just changed a lot. It has changed. Yeah. And which on, on one hand is great. Mm -hmm. And on another hand, there's so much misinformation and like people watering it down that sometimes it can be really challenging to kind of, it feels like you're yelling into a void sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, that is one of the real challenges, right? Because like, even when we talk about, I don't, you've done posts on like parenting or like I've done posts on like communication or friendship or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're kind of trying to give a picture of what it might look like, but we're not necessarily saying this is the core motivation. And so what can happen sometimes is because those posts tend to be a little bit more focused on the out, like how it looks outwardly. So the behavior people are like, mm-hmm. wait, I thought I was a three and now I think I'm a one. And People are like, but now I'm confused. Like I resonate with all of these. And it's like, ah, okay, like we have to go back, you know, and, and again, mm-hmm. try to drill in like, no, we're looking at the core motivation to so start there and then move. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have that foundational understanding, then it can be ve- very much like, and I think it's even, you know, there are accounts out there that think about the motivations when they're putting content out. And then there are accounts out there that just think like, which latte are you based on your Enneagram type? That's just like, uh, I, I just, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. That's not as like, it does not necessarily encourage people to like get curious about themselves and use it as a tool for growth. Um, 
in really any way. It's just like becomes that fun party game that doesn't teach you anything about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure, I don't know if if you're like this now, but, um, these days, well, not these days, pre pandemic days, um, Mm -hmm. when I would meet people, I don't even bring the Enneagram up anymore. Like people sometimes will be like, Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, do you know about the Enneagram? And they're like, yes or no. And then I'm like, okay, well give like a two sentence summary of what it is. And I just say, I teach that to teams and individuals (laughs) and that's it. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) No, I'm yeah. Same. Definitely not like I was the first like six to nine months. And I think it, it honestly depends. Like I've, um, in my internship, I've met a couple of therapists who, uh, knew about it. And that to Mm -hmm. me is really fascinating. So I think I've kind of transitioned like we're talking to other professionals and, um, colleagues who are using it in really specific ways is really fun. But yeah, yeah, I actually, um, someone just recently was uh, asking, I, I said something about the Enneagram and they were like, Oh my God, I love the Enneagrams. I'm a two and a nine. And there was a time where I would have been like, no, you're not like, let's, okay, let's do this. Like, let's talk about why that's not a thing. And it's Enneagram. Instead, I was just like, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so recently I like it too. Like I just am not, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, once this, this person was like, what is so cool about the Enneagram is that it's um, all based on an algorithm. Um <laughs> And then he started explaining what the Enneagram is to me. And I was like, hmm, interesting. I haven't heard of it talked about like that before. And I didn't. I just didn't go any further. I was like, okay, moving along. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to share a word from our sponsor for today's episode. And then when we come back, we'll start asking Amanda some of those heavy hitting questions that you all shared with me. Check out shapeandfoster.com. Shape and Foster is a lifestyle development app that provides monthly actionable insight from six experts in mental health, financial planning, nutrition, fitness, yoga, and a life coach. It is a one-stop shop for self-improvement. The app provides a proactive and informed approach to improving your mental well-being by enabling practices and habits to be built. Lifestyle development is about enhancing your quality of life by improving awareness, identity, and potential. One community of actionable insight. Learn from six pillars essential to a healthy heart and healthy mind in one unique app. Visit www.shapeandfoster.com for your free 14-day trial. All right, back to the show. So this podcast is called ask an Enneagram coach. So that's why we have you on here today, because we're going to ask you some questions. Yes. Ask me Um, questions. I'm excited. So this first one, I think ties in seamlessly to what we were just talking about. Um, because somebody asked, I'm thinking about pursuing a career in therapy or counseling, any advice on getting started or knowing if that's the right career path? Yeah. So I think I, um, whenever Steph first sent these over, I was like, man, I wish we could like call these people because I have questions to answer your question, Mm -hmm. but I can't do that. So I would say the first thing I would recommend is find a therapist if you haven't already. Mm. So get into therapy. Like I can't tell you the difference I can tell when I interact with a mental health professional who has done their work and who has been through the process of therapy And then when I interact with someone who never has, because in order to sit across and to be very clear, like I am not a licensed clinician yet, but I did my last internship in a therapy setting and I'm still wrapping up with clients in that setting. So I've just spent the last six months providing therapy services for people and it was magical and I loved it so much, but there's something Um, really important when you sit down across from someone who is about to go on this journey of healing themselves, like you have to know what that has felt like to be that person. Mm -hmm. And it feels like so vulnerable and scary. And I think that sometimes what can happen is that people think I would be really good at helping people. I should be a therapist. And my perspective on being a therapist is like, I want to teach as many people as possible that they have what they need inside themselves to heal themselves. Like, it's not about me. It's about me, like Mm -hmm. sharing this wisdom and using the tools that I've gained, 
but the wisdom that I'm sharing is not anything that has anything to do with who I am as Amanda Steed. It's all about you actually have everything you need inside of you to heal yourself. And I think that as a mental health professional, you cannot believe that's true about the people that you are trying to help unless you know it's true about yourself. Yeah. So that would be the number one thing I would tell people is like get into therapy and do your own work before you go out into the field and Mm -hmm. pursue that. Yeah. Cause I think like something I've observed and actually people ask me all the time if they should go into this or that um, career based on their Enneagram type. And so Mm -hmm. I think there is an assumption that people are like twos make the best therapists or fours make (laughs) the best therapists. And what I've actually found is therapists need such strong boundaries to be a good therapist that if Mm -hmm. you like sometimes twos, if they haven't done enough of their own work, they might have a lot harder of a time, like letting their client do their own work and they take on too much responsibility. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, all of us have the potential, no matter what type you are, all of us have the potential to enable people. And Mm -hmm. that's something that when you are working in therapy with people, in my experience, that there's like a very thin line between providing resources, helping people process things they need to process, and then like uh, holding their hand and doing the work for them. And that's like the, the hero complex that I'm kind of getting at is like, you can't think that you are going to save anybody, right? You can't save anybody, but you can mm-hmm. help people save themselves. Yeah. And that's a really important distinction. And yeah, everybody needs to have that realization regardless of type. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, man, this is just like bleeding right into our other podcast idea here. <laughs> Going into like uh, the the religious um, upbringing that we we've both experienced and how that mm-hmm. has changed our perspective. But anyway, um, I think one thing that I always want to say to people when they're asking like, "Is this the right career path?" is I'm like, "Why are you outsourcing that? Like, why are you asking the enneagram to answer that question for you instead of trusting yourself?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Being a therapist, it takes a lot of work to get there. You know, I just went through two years of graduate school and I'm halfway there, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, so, and that doesn't take into account the five and a half years of my own therapy that I did. And, um, so yeah, I think just be aware of like why you think you want to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay. I think that that sufficiently answered that question. So moving along, okay. <laughs> um, how can an eight forgive betrayal or being harmed? Yeah, I really, really resonate with the feelings behind this question. So I think that a lot of times there's confusion when it comes to forgiveness because mm. Some people think like, oh, I forgive. And then we go back to how things were. And I think that what I have had to learn is like out of my eightness, I very much just want to be like, nope, I'm done. I'm cutting you off. We're done. You betrayed me. I'll never trust you again. Right. But then what happened is that when I learned about that tendency in myself, I really disliked it. And so I swung to the other side of like, oh, well, I should just not hold a grudge. Like I shouldn't hold a grudge. And I like judged my tendency to protect myself essentially, right? So now I've kind of landed somewhere in the middle where it's all about setting healthy boundaries. So I would say don't rush the process of forgiveness. Um. Mm express how you really feel towards the person who has betrayed you. Because I think a lot of times we type eights cover up how we're feeling, all those vulnerable feelings of betrayal, of rejection, of 
abandonment, like whatever is underneath it. And we just get really pissed off, which is sometimes justified, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes people do things that warrant our anger. Sure. But if the relationship is meaningful and what we're seeking is forgiveness and and then not just forgiveness, but reconciliation, where we come back together with that person and continue to build a relationship, then what we have to start with is and speaking from the eye and saying, hey, I felt hurt and sad yeah. when you did whatever you did because it takes a lot for me to trust someone and I trusted you and you broke my trust. And so what I need to know is that you're willing to make a change in how you're going to operate in this relationship moving forward or whatever it is that person needs. Again, this is kind of a hard question to answer without details, but mm-hmm. you have to express how you really feel. And then the the visual that's been really, really helpful for me um, is Brene Brown's trust jar or marble jar. Have you heard this? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm analogy. So essentially, I think she talks about it in one of her books because she was talking to her daughter about trust and how uh, we each have a jar and the marbles in the jar represent trust. So when we start a new relationship, we slowly add marbles to the jar as we learn to trust someone. And I actually use that to illustrate when I'm teaching about type eights that that like you're cut off, I'm done with you tendency that I used to have using the marble jar illustration, it was like, I am crushing this thing into a million pieces. You will never get to put any more (laughs) marbles in this jar. Mm -hmm. This jar is null and void, and we will not have it again moving forward. Um, But what I love is that Brene Brown says, we don't, she doesn't even address crushing the jar because I don't think it crossed her mind. But she was like, (laughs) "We we don't dump all the marbles out, right? We don't start over from zero. We take a handful out and put them back to the side, and then we allow the person to earn our trust back. Um, and I think that's that's the best way to do it if you want to maintain a relationship. And then I also want to give permission to this person that if someone betrays you, you don't owe them the relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if it's no longer a safe relationship for you to be in, it is 100% okay for you to say, you know what? I'm going to forgive you because I don't want to carry around this anger towards you all the time. But my boundary is that I can't actually have a relationship with you anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it seems like it takes some inner work to do, to understand within yourself, like, is that from anger or is that from Mm. um, like trying to avoid being controlled or is it like, no, this is like a healthy boundary for me to set and I'm going to set it. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think that it is, it's hard to distinguish that if you haven't regularly been curious about your anger and where it's coming from, or been curious about what's underneath it. Um, if there is something underneath it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if, if you've been using the Enneagram as a tool for long enough, then hopefully you have a practice of getting curious about your feelings and where um, where it's coming from and what it's trying to tell you. Yeah. 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 That's good. It was like so good. Because I, I think like for both of us, the way that we see the Enneagram is so much about practical application. Um, and so I love that you keep bringing it back to that. Um. Okay. So last question, because there, we also wanted to answer a question about twos and eights, but we answered that earlier. So um, this is probably the last question. So how do you see trauma or PTSD impact people within their Enneagram type? And I got a ton of questions about this. Okay. So I'm going to steal an answer from Suzanne Stabile on this because um, I have not been doing therapy long enough to tell you specifically what I can see in clients necessarily, but Suzanne has been working with the Enneagram for a really long time. And what she says is that it actually just drives us deeper into our type. So Mm. remember our personality are these layers of protection that we put on. 
So if we experience trauma, we will put on more layers of protection. Mm -hmm. So I think this is where you'll see someone operating in those lower average levels um, and maybe even some unhealthy levels because it's just they're using as many protective defense mechanisms as they can that are within their time. And I think that that's why it's so important that anytime you're using the Enneagram as a tool, especially if you've experienced trauma, that you're using it with a therapist because, um, you know, uncovering trauma and, then recognizing the messages, like those core beliefs that we developed because of the trauma we experienced, that is really integral in kind of coming up with a new belief system. So you can Mm -hmm. use the Enneagram to kind of reflect like, well, this is the core belief I took from what happened to me. And then it's reinforced by my personality's belief that this is what life is all about. And this is Mm -hmm. why I do everything I do. And that it's almost like you can see the tangled mess in the yarn instead of just seeing like a ball of yarn and not even knowing that there's tangles in it. It's like, oh, wait, I can see where this thread is like contributing to this tangle over here and like how it fits together. And it doesn't mean that you magically like poof, have your problem solved, but it means that you can like see the path forward a little easier. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Um, I've also heard Suzanne Stabile say that she sees sometimes people drop into their stress number for prolonged periods of time. Um, And I'm curious, I've been thinking about that a lot because I've actually had a couple of clients ask me about that recently. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. Like our, our, the types that we're tied to in those movement points are just other tools that's, that our type gives us to survive and to protect ourselves. So yeah, some of those layers that we put on, they, it is our stress type. It is our mm-hmm. security type. It is like everything kind of all together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I mean, I see that too. And I, I think, so I'm in an Enneagram three Facebook group. And mm-hmm. so many people in that group, obviously there are a lot of people who are like, I, I would say are, are really living from the personality masks that we wear of like, I'm an achiever and et cetera, et cetera. But I think there are a lot of people also who are like, during this pandemic, I have been in nine space, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, drawing from that stress, that stress place. Um, though I kind of, and I liked your answer too, because I've had people ask me like, so do you think that I'm a nine or do you think I'm just a three who's been living in stress for a long time? And in in terms of typing and I, I don't know. I feel like when we're talking about years, like 10 years, Mm -hmm. I think that would be less likely. Yeah. And I think that's where I would just, again, this, it's going to get boring to people to hear, but like you can be exhibiting type nine behaviors to protect yourself, Mm -hmm. but your motivations are not going to change. Yeah. But why? Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it all goes back to like, why, why are you, why are you using that behavior? Mm -hmm. Yeah. People um, have heard me say that like a million times on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it is, it is. I think that actually is something that people get frustrated with about the Enneagram mm-hmm. because they're like, well, I took a test and it says this. And I'm like, okay, sure. You, you are a perfectionist, but why? Like mm-hmm. perfection is often, or perfectionism is often a trauma response. So why are you doing that? Um, and I'm not saying that based on my experience. I'm not a therapist, obviously, but based on some, some things I've read. Um, and I mean, any type. Can, yeah, can, and that's why I hate the names. I hate oh, me when too. people use the names for the types because, and I get that it's coming from a very good place. It's coming, it's a great teaching tool, but it causes so much confusion mm-hmm. because type fours are not the only artist on the Enneagram. And my husband right. thought he was 
a type four for a really long time because he is an artist and he's Mm -hmm. an incredible artist because Mm -hmm. his oneness speaks to his artwork. And so there is this like very beautiful, imperfect perfection in what he creates. And it's, it's actually, yeah. Anyway, I could go off on a whole tangent about that, but I, I hate the nicknames because anyone can exhibit stereotypical type eight behavior, but be doing it for very different reasons. Yep. Yeah. We're all capable of, of any behavior. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. People don't like it. And I think that people don't like it because we are not naturally curious about why we do what we do. And we're actually trained as therapists to not ask a, ask a client why, because it, it causes, um, defensiveness. Uh, So if you say, Oh, I got into a fight with my mom and I told her she was stupid. And I say, well, why did you call her stupid? You're immediately going to feel like, Oh, I need to defend that behavior. Right. So it, it makes sense why it causes defensiveness in people for us to say, Oh yeah. I mean, you may, you're neat and tidy. That does not mean you're a type one. Mm-hmm. Why are you neat and tidy? Is it because it's how you manage your anxiety? Is it because you think that being neat and tidy makes you special and unique and makes your Instagram look amazing? Like why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Is it because I successful people... people are neat and tidy? Is it, you know, like, right. Like I wish people could see my face right now. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a great point. And I, I feel like for me, I'm, I'm always like, so what's going on underneath that for you? What's underneath that, mm-hmm. that thing for you? I guess it's saying why in just a different way. Um, yeah. My question, my go-to question is like, what do you think that's about? Mm, I like that question. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I a little bit feel like people with the trauma and PTSD question are going to be like, that wasn't a real answer, but I feel like <laughs> it's so much, it's so personal. Yeah. It is so personal. Yeah. No, it is. Read the question again. Let me see um, if I can articulate it in a different way. How do you see trauma or PTSD impact people within their Enneagram type? I think this would be an easier question to answer if they were asking about one type. Cause I yeah. bet we could go through all the types and kind of say how it might show up, but that's a whole episode. So right, exactly. Maybe, uh, maybe me, you, and Michael could do an episode about that. But I just don't oh, think that cool. we have the time. No, to talk no. about it. I mean, I guess I can speak from from my perspective as a Type Eight. The way trauma showed up is that it it showed the specific trauma I experienced was abuse as a child. So mm-hmm. the way that showed up for me was to to prove my uh, childhood message to be true, which is that you will be betrayed. That yeah. that's that happens. And so it took me a long time to be able to undo that messaging mm-hmm. of I can trust people and I was betrayed, but I uh, survived and I am stronger in a lot of ways because of what I've experienced, which is a very mm-hmm. eight thing to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but if I hadn't had the resources that I'd had that eventually led me in a more healing direction, I can see how I would have spent the rest of my life not trusting people, Mm -hmm. um, expecting betrayal, uh, consumed with making sure I had control of everything around me, um, using my anger to protect myself, um, cutting myself off from my feelings so I wouldn't have to process any kind of grief or sadness or any difficult emotions. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, it's that question. That's why that question's hard to answer because it's not very specific. It's very general. And I think that it just means that I see those layers of personality as tools that we have learned to use because they worked for a really long time. So I think that the more trauma that you've experienced, the more likely you are to use those tools until Mm -hmm. you can heal from the trauma and learn new tools to get through life uh, with a little more compassion and yeah. softness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, 
that's why with the Enneagram, we talk about healing and growth looks like more balance and more integration. It looks like not living so much out of the stereotype of your type. Mm -hmm. Like, like if you're a specific type and like, I don't know, maybe if you're a type three and all you ever want to do is be seen as successful and admirable and the achiever and the best person ever, that's not necessarily the healthiest <laughs> um, expression of your type. And so, um, yeah, stepping out of, out of that personality pattern. Well, and, and I yeah. would add that like a lot of times it's the sacrifices that we make in order to live out of that. Right. So yeah, a type three may try to be successful all the time. And what happens is that they have to sacrifice who they are and their true, mm -hmm. the truest sense of it in order to perform as who they think everyone wants them to be. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. like this, almost like this betrayal of who they really are shows up. Mm -hmm. And there's I'll, using myself as an example, as a type eight, if I live out of my eightness into that belief that people are going to betray me and I can't trust anyone, my ultimate desire, the thing that I really seek all the time is like connecting with other people and being that vulnerable, soft, uh, compassionate, person. And I can never be that if I, if I drive from personality, I can only do that if I drive from essence, from who yeah. I am underneath all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And, um, it makes me think of, do you follow Lisa Oliveira on Instagram? That sounds familiar, but you know, I've been off Instagram for a minute. So she's an illustrator therapist, she's a therapist with mm -hmm. cute illustrations. No, it's just no? like graphics with text. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. I do follow her. So I really like her perspective. I've talked about her on the podcast a couple of times, but recently when um, Taylor Swift's newest album came out, mm -hmm. so, and Lisa shared that she's a four, so I'm not just like pegging her as a certain type, but she shared she's a four. And so um, she shared in her stories, like um, a few years ago, she wouldn't have really let herself listen to or enjoy this Taylor Swift al album because it, it's almost like it wouldn't be special enough or wouldn't be unique enough. It would be like too basic. So basic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And, and now she's yeah. like, and I enjoyed it and I loved it. And I am a, a more true expression of myself because I'm mm. not trying to be that unique and, and special. Um, I am being, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. So wrapping up, uh, what are you working on right now? <laughs> I know I saw this question on your list and I was like, who? Nothing, which is amazing. Yes. So, so that. <laughs> I'm taking, that's not entirely true. I'm preparing for my licensing exam. So between now and February, I'm going to be in kind of an incubation phase. So what I would encourage people to do is sign up for my newsletter because mm -hmm. that will be the way that I announce like what's next. Um, I'm hoping and praying that 2021 will allow me to host some kind of in-person retreat. I'm like so hopeful that yeah. we will take care of each other well enough that that will be an option at some point later in 2021. Um, and then I told you I've kind of been reconsidering doing Enneagram Unfolding, which is like a community of group coaching and teachings and relaunching coaching as something that I do, but I'd have to have time to just like think it all through and what it looks like and how it fits into life post-graduation and like back in the full-time working world. Mm -hmm. Um, so if people go to my website, which is amandasteed.com, then they can sign up for the newsletter. And if they're just wanting Enneagram teachings, um, all of my teachings are on teachable, which you can also access at amandasteed.com. But other than that, I am like watching The Real Housewives. I'm playing Animal Crossing shamelessly, um, scrolling the internet, catching up on Tony Baker videos, which has been golden. <laughs> I'm just resting and relaxing and enjoying not being a full time student. <laughs> oh, praise be. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So if listeners could take away just one thing from this conversation, what would you want them to know? 
just be more compassionate towards yourself and towards other people. Like remember that as much as you, you are um, like, just we're all on our own journey and none of it is easy. Right. Yeah. Just bring yeah. more compassion to whatever it is that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay. Love that journey for all of us. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, I'm excited to see what you have coming in 2021. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was good. Of good course. to talk to you. Ah, thank you so much to Amanda for coming on the show. I had such a great time talking and just exploring kind of these ideas around the Enneagram and therapy and social work. And just, I really appreciate um, just the reverence, I think, that Amanda has for this tool and also for each of us um, as we go about our personal work and just how she holds that in such high regard. So I really appreciate that about Amanda. And definitely give her a shout if you can. Um, go over to her website, amandasteed.com, and you can find her courses and her email list and everything. So um, head on over there. And if you loved this episode, uh, let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram and tell me that you listened to it, you loved it, um, you want to hear more from Amanda, whatever you want to say. So Upcoming, we have an episode on parenting, um, but I also wanted to hear from you. What episodes would you like to hear? So you can either shoot me an email at hello at ninetypes.co and ask a question or tell me what you want to hear on the podcast, or you can do the same over on Instagram at ninetypesco. Looking forward to uh, seeing you all again here in a couple weeks. Have a great one. <laughs>